0: A lot of the sex toys weren't accessible for Mm -hmm. people with dexterity issues and I was always looking for something that could help people with disabilities. So I then started concentrating on looking for products that were what I deemed accessible.
1: Hi, I'm Brooke Melhouse. Welcome to Disabled and Proud, the podcast that does exactly what it says on the tin. Each week the show highlights an awesome disabled guest speaking about their own disability, why they're proud to be disabled. And why they're proud to be themselves. So Damien, welcome to Disabled and Proud. How are you today?
0: I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm looking yeah. forward to this.
1: Oh, I'm, I'm honestly like, I've already said to you before we did this, I'm so looking forward to listening all about what you've got to say. And I'm just, yeah, like I said, super excited to talk all about this. So the first question that I ask absolutely everybody is, how do you refer to your disability?
0: It's a real strange one because when people ask me, like now um, I'm a wheelchair user and I, I wasn't until early last uh, early last year. Um, so I would kind of usually refer to myself as uh, I have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome mm-hmm. um, and I have other conditions that go with it. But yeah, yeah if someone asks me oh, what's going on, I, I will be open and tell them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just class myself as disabled. It's yeah, and I it's a condition. I think that's about how I kind of usually answer that one as well.
1: Yeah, and I think it's so interesting, particularly with Ellen Dandrous, is that it affects everybody so differently. Like, yeah. I think it was Clara told me that a, you it's like you referred to as zebras because when you hear the hoofs, everybody automatically thinks it's a horse. But actually, yeah. it could also be a zebra.
0: Yeah. And really, I was diagnosed uh, quite a long time ago. So before, like, r- it's wrong using the word fashionable, but it's one, it's one of them things you see a lot more now. When I, I was diagnosed in 1994, v- basically it wasn't hardly known about then. Yeah. Um, and I got seen by a geneticist. I was having loads of problems with uh, dislocating my knees when I used to run, when I was at school. Mm-hmm and that's what they diagnosed me with then um and i've had like that confirmed as time's gone on as well from other doctors um it was literally no one knew what it was even i would say into my mid-20s if you ever said what it was no one had heard of it even i would go to the hospital and doctors did not know what it was it it's still obviously it's one of them conditions that still has a lot to be like discovered but i think there is more knowledge now, and I think the internet obviously has a place to play in that. Um, there's more chat rooms and groups and things like that. But you still can. I can still go to a doctor, and they still don't know about it. It's it's crazy.
1: It, honestly, it is because I know so many people who also have Ellen it's Like like way more than I ever thought I would know. And a friend of mine actually got diagnosed about about two years ago. I'd say. And beforehand, before she got like a real diagnosis, they were like, oh, it's psychosomatic. Like you've gone through some trauma. She And I remember her being like, my shoulders just popped out of place. And so has my knee. And so has my ankle. All within the space of like two days. Yeah, That isn't my trauma response. Something is going wrong on in my body so please can someone take a look at it and and for so long that was what she was given you know like oh it's a trauma response it's trauma response and and, and it wasn't because she now is diagnosed with Ellen Dandros and I think you're right in saying that a lot more people have a lot more knowledge about it because yeah. a lot more people are being diagnosed with it whereas I think beforehand a lot of people thought it was psychosomatic
0: yeah yeah um, and again I just uh, it's, it's just I think if we can have more open conversations about why doctors don't believe people and things like that, and I think I've seen doctors who will say, oh, it's overdiagnosed and people come in thinking that's what they have. Mm -hmm. But because there's no, especially for hypermobile EDS, there's no genetic test where others there is. And one of the ones that I've got, but for the, for HEDS there isn't. So there's so many arguments in the medical world about who has and who hasn't. So I think until these get sorted, it's going to be hard for a lot of people still to get diagnosed. Diagnosed, And yeah, it, it shouldn't be like that.
1: No, it shouldn't be. But interesting that you got diagnosed quite like early on in your life. Yeah. And I was wondering, I haven't really spoken to many people who were diagnosed like so, like I have had their diagnosis for such a long time. And what was that like for you growing up? Was it, like beneficial was it not beneficial uh, because you've had your diagnosis for like what 27 years?
0: Yeah yeah coming on that yeah it's I it gave me answers to what was going on yeah but then it also uh, made life quite difficult so um, at the time I was let's like I was having a lot of dislocations with my knees and problems with other joints and the doctor's first thing was to put me on crutches now that doesn't ha- always work because my shoulders is okay as well at that time it wasn't too bad but i had a fall at school uh, when i would have been 15 i think 14 15 and they school weren't happy with what had happened so they kicked me out they weren't they weren't willing to let me back on the premises in case it happened again because we didn't have lifts at the school it's because we're going back to the mid 90s accessibility wasn't really thought about then um, so I had to go upstairs for most of my classes and because I'd come down a couple of stairs they were like no nah, we're not having it so I ended up missing most of my last year at school Um, so I had, I had the only way they could give me any teaching was to give me a like the council provided me a home shooter once a week who was a primary school teacher who didn't know how to teach GCSEs. Um, so basically I did, I had to self-teach myself some of the stuff, uh, came out with a couple of GCSEs and then had to go back to college to redo my last year basically because the school just they were not helpful in the slightest. You wouldn't get away with it now. Um, but yeah. I
1: like, I know I'm sat here with my face open and it's because I'm so genuinely shocked by that because... Yeah. I always joke, and it's not really a joke because it's all completely based in truth. Is that disabled children, particularly in school, are a health and safety nightmare for adults? And like, does does that not just prove that point entirely? Yeah, and like, it was you know, that is it's wild that that happened. First yeah. off,
0: it it was it was one of them things. There was just no way we could argue against it because obviously it could have happened again, but the school weren't even open to, for example, saying come into the school, sit in a classroom downstairs, at least you're in that school environment. No, that was it. So obviously that had an effect on friendships and things like that. I'd already had issues with bullying beforehand, um, before that, so it kind of, it really put like, it made me then as I got a bit older, um, once I came off the crutches and I was like wearing braces a lot more and things like that, mm. stuff that I could hide, I went through a phase for quite a long time of not telling anyone I was disabled.
1: Yeah. And really
0: well, So like very few people knew.
1: And of course, that is like, that would only be the natural response because essentially you were singled out for being different and in, and yeah. not even just like in a little way, in quite a big way, you were literally physically excluded yeah that honestly this is why we have these conversations because i think people think who are not disabled they think oh the disabled community just chat and chat and they scream and they shout and they're all really angry and all of this kind of stuff and you hear stories like this and it makes you think do you not understand as to why disabled people scream and shout so much
0: yeah i th- like if it happened now obviously for example, my mom could have taken to the social media. There would have been an yeah. uproar. Things would have probably been very different. Obviously, back then, that that wasn't the sort of thing that happened. Um, so it was just one of them things I had to get on with. Um, yeah. And then, let's say I went through college, university, kind of hiding my disability as much as I could. Um, and that obviously had an effect because like, people were then wondering, the days I was having bad health days, why I wasn't in lectures or anything like that yes most of the lecturers knew and the university knew but it was my peers that didn't know because I just never felt comfortable telling people because I didn't know how I was going to be judged was I going to be alienated again and things like that. so it had a profound effect really in some respects right up until I would say my mid-20s
1: yeah like just uh, like, unbelievable. And I'm I'm so sorry that that happened to you because I can only imagine the repercussions that it would have had because if it had happened to me, I would have been the exact same. And yeah. I don't know many people who wouldn't have been the exact same because actually, and I recently had this, I, I kind of had a bit of a go at someone for this, but when you are called out for your disability because it's something you can't change, you take it internally. Yeah. Because you, you can't change being disabled. So no. actually, you can't, you know, if you're going to try and exclude someone for that, well, no wonder you're going to internalise it, because I've done it in the past and been like, you know, how dare you? And then I'm just a really gobby person. So I'm like, fuck you, like, that's not yeah. okay. <laughs> like,
0: I think I, like going through my late teens, the only time I kind of, I was not say proud of my disability so much. It was like, I was kind of willing to show it off was with, was doing party tricks because, well, obviously, I can dislocate my joints. I'm very stretchy. I would do daft stuff, especially if I'd been drinking out with the lads. But I think, but I still, people didn't understand it. I have, I have friends that I've grown up with, like for over like thirty years, who still do not completely understand what is wrong with me. So, but I think talking now, like it, I, if I talk to people, I think it's different. Now, being in a wheelchair, you see my disability mm-hmm. for a long time. You didn't see it. People didn't know if, unless they knew me really well, they didn't know there was something wrong. Like I would have to hold on to someone while I was out walking, for example, because I can't walk very far, or I would use a stick. But so many people would be like, Well, I didn't realize there was anything wrong because they just once and then they've seen me go into a chair, they've kind of then they ask questions. Um, but I also have, I've been very much the last probably last decade more like outgoing where my disability is concerned Mm. i i like to be seen i'm wearing bright clothes now you'll see like am i like for most people laugh but my wheelchair is bright pink
1: yeah
0: so i if if you're gonna if i have to use these things i'd like them to be seen my wrist splints and things like that they're bright pink Mm. so it's a very different to how i was back then um yeah but i would hidden disability just causes such an issue and people i think they don't see it because they can't see it they don't understand it they're not willing to listen they're not willing to learn um they just think you kind of can be making it up and i had that with school like even teachers like they were kind of oh it's attention seeking or and things like that it's just i my my skull was horrendous but yeah
1: honestly like internalized ableism it's such a thing <laughs> yeah.
0: and i don't know if that is a generation thing cuz i say going back to the like mid 90s yeah very different to now um but I, obviously you still see it now but i look back then and it was probably like 100 times worse especially around hidden disabilities and like neurodiversity and things like that i think there's more awareness where there wasn't then but i still think you look back, you don't realize what effect that had on you till you're like an adult. And you can look back in with an open mind and think, bloody hell, that's how I was affected.
1: Yeah. This is actually brilliant because it kind of ties into like my next questioning. And because of that experience that you had at school and then having to retake a year of college and, and, and progressing from there, how did, like your disability and that experience particularly, how did that impact the career choices that you went to went, went on to make?
0: So I I laugh because it's it my career path is quite funny. Um so <laughs> I I left school, I redid my G C S E did A levels. Um and then I decided to go to university. I was obsessed and still am with like real crime and things like that. So I did criminology as a degree. Uh-huh. I loved it. But then got towards the end of it and I was like, I've had enough of learning. What do I want to do as a career?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, because of my disability, I thought things like the police, prison service, it was always going to be an an uphill battle. So I thought mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind doing social work. But I'd, when they said, oh, you'd have to do more learning and things, like that, I was like, nah, I've had enough. So I came out of education and I worked for a football club as a commercial manager, getting sponsors and things like that for about a year. And then I had issues with my health and I was in hospital for a while and I thought I need to find something else to do. So I set up an online store selling gifts and gadgets because that was kind of as the Internet was starting to progress. In I was like in my early 20s and there was more like online stores popping up. And I'd been doing that for about eight eight to 12 months, I would have thought, looking back. And then I went to a trade fair and I was walking around this trade fair and there was a stand selling, and everyone laughed with this, vibrating rubber ducks that were <laughs> a sex tie, but they, because of this show, they could get away with it. And they're, they're a brand called I Rub My Ducky. They're still in existence. They're an American company. And they're <laughs> vibrating rubber duck. I usually have one on the shelf. I do have one on the shelf behind me, actually.
1: Oh, my God. It's a prime version. unreal.
0: <laughs> so, obviously, it's a very discreet vibrator. And when I was talking to the people on the stand, and they were saying, oh, we have other stuff, but we can't show it on the main stand, which I'd like to come and have a look. And there was a lot of vibrators and some other sex toys on the stand. I thought, that's brilliant. I, I wouldn't mind doing that. Yeah. And that was where my story, like the sex toy industry started. So I started a store then. That would have been 2005, four, four or five. early uh, doors,
1: really, when it comes yeah, to like e-commerce. The,
0: yeah. And so I started doing that, and it became very apparent over the first four to five years trading was a lot of the sex toys weren't accessible for mm-hmm. people with dexterity issues. And I was always looking for something that could help people with disabilities so I then started concentrating on looking for products that were what I deemed accessible and I spent a lot of time researching products looking at them getting them in seeing how I like a lot of people just think it's to do with the buttons but for me isn't it it can be like the packaging instructions the textures, the colours. There's a You've got to look at so many. Even the smells. There's a lot of people who don't like the smell of certain materials. Yeah. So I spent my time looking at things like that, and then the pandemic hit, and which was brilliant for business because everyone was staying at home. But everyone I was, was
1: getting, bored and needed a vibrator. Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
0: And I was thinking, I'm getting a bit bored though, mm-hmm. um, which was weird. I was busy, but I was getting. I needed. I had a niche that I needed to scratch. It was like, there was something I needed to do. So I um, started some work with a UK charity called Enhance the UK, who do about sex and disability. Mm-hmm. And then I decided to qualify as a sex educator as well. Mm-hmm. And then with that, I've been doing work with sex education companies. But I've also then decided in one way, which is sad, I closed my store because I thought I want to explore more things. And I, I think working with bigger companies, I can have a bigger impact. So I now work with sex toy companies looking at how to make their products accessible and how we can talk to more people in the disabled community. Because for me, sex and disability is a massive taboo. Yeah. You, you know, I, I speak to so many people I, from the ages of 20 right up to 70 who have had no sex education. And that could be because sex education is crap in schools, in mainstream schools anyway. Um, but it's even in a lot of SEN schools, it's just non existent. Or it ha- like they have to do some now, but until say 18 months ago, they could get away with teaching nothing. And I I get so frustrated when I speak to someone, for example, in their 50s, who is still very, like, very naive on a lot of sexual health topics. So I, I, I'm quite happy to talk to people, give them advice, tell them about products. So it can be anything from, you know, what condoms are accessible or even talking to people about going into a sexual health clinic because these are not always accessible. You see videos on Instagram people trying to go for a smear test, for example, and they can't even get into the doctors. So we need to have these open conversations. So that's what I spend a lot of my time doing now.
1: What I love about what you've just said Because it's something that I would never have thought of is about the accessibility of toys, and not just talking about the way that it moves, talking about packaging, talking about the instructions, talking about buttons, all that kind of stuff. Because actually, that is it. it Rings so true. Because if you can't get into a product, then you would never buy it. Yeah. And and you know, talking about colors, and there is so much more about accessibility than than people realize. Yeah. And I think particularly in this market, because it's very much well, like from my point of view, I would not say I'm a connoisseur in this market. This is something that I'm very much learning about from these kinds of conversations is that actually it, it kind of sells very much like sex is very much one thing. And, and it tends to be between like the man and a woman and, and that's it. And this is a toy that's going to unhelp, unhelp that. and help that. And by the way, when they tell you that it's, you know, between a man and a woman, these are both able bodied. Yeah. very attractive male and female it's not like your average Joe Bloggs who drinks like a couple of pints a night down at the pub like he is not in that advert no. like he's not selling USX sex toy <laughs> but he might be the person that needs it and wants it yeah so it, it's fast. like accessibility particularly in this area is absolutely fascinating and
0: representation has got a lot to do with it as well like yeah you know growing up you'll be the same as me you don't see anything on like mainstream tv or there's little bits that's starting to fall in now but you don't like for me growing up there was no not much disability on tv full stop mm-hmm. so now you've seen little bits more but in for example pornography and such you don't really see disabled people yeah the, only in a fetishized way which obviously we don't want to see so i think when you're talking to younger people and you Because they don't see someone who represents them, then it has another profound effect on their negativity, be it body image or, you know, self-loathing themselves. And one thing I talk about is uh, I'm very big on pleasure-based sex education. Now, it's very, a lot of scholars will not have it. um, And I get why. But I think we need to start teaching people that pleasure can be achieved without just penetration you know it's always about penetrative sexy sex education so i think we need to start take it back and talk about pleasure group. for a lot of disabled people the only way they can achieve pleasure is with sex toys and people yeah. forget that
1: this is opening like a whole can of stuff that i've never thought about in my entire life and i'm i'm loving it because i think it's so important to have these conversations because as you say like disability and sex is such it is such a taboo and the amount of people and and when I come to ask you this as well, I'm pretty sure you'll probably have a very similar response, but the amount of people that have said to me when I ask them, like, what's the weirdest thing someone's asked you? It is always, well, nearly always to do with sex and it's always, can you have sex? And I think that comes from, and literally, as you just said, is that at school, you're taught that sex is penetration and that's it. Because that's, that's what we've been taught or, you know, very very roughly gone over in some kind of like phse class which was just awkward and weird because often it was like a nurse that came in from like the local gp and and maybe she was like your friend's mum
0: yeah (laughs) so i'm going to just ask you one quick question which is probably the wrong way to do it but what was your sex education like because when i when i ask, i always ask people that
1: um i just remember being sat in biology class and i remember being like and I don't really know how we knew this, but we were all like today's the day that we learn about condoms. <laughs> and it was like our biology teacher had this like green and it wasn't even a dildo or like a, a like a symbol of a willy. Like it was nothing. It was literally yeah. just like this almost like cucumber but it wasn't and it wasn't as big as a cucumber either and then she put on the condom and I just remember being sat there being like I feel so freaking awkward and I think I was maybe 13, 14 and it and she wasn't a particularly engaging teacher wasn't she was very much like old school headmistress and it was just it was actually just a really awkward experience for all of us and it was a mixed group of boys and girls as well it wasn't just like single sex there was you know boys and girls in this class and all of us were kind of just like like we thought this would be funny but actually it's just a bit awkward and we all just felt a bit weird. And I think also, I know that sounds like we were really young. We were like 14, 13, 14, but actually we knew about it already. Like we knew what they were. Like we didn't necessarily need to have someone show us how it worked. Like we knew how they worked, you know a few of us have been blowing them up with like making water balloons out of them for years. Like
0: Yeah. <laughs> so and we because, knew what
1: was going on,
0: but it was yeah, just because of the internet though, that has kind of transformed these conversations. People forget that like most kids are finding these things out on the internet before they yeah. get to that age where you're teaching them in class. So I think this is why we need to have these conversations about bringing it down. I know there's so many arguments about having conversations about consent with primary school children, but I think it's, if you do it in the right way, it can only be a positive thing.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting one because I don't actually think I ever had like a workshop or anything about around consent. Like I've thought about this quite a lot. And only because, and the reason I thought about it a lot is because I see a lot of um videos, like particularly on like TikTok and Instagram, of like little children who are being taught that actually if they don't want to hug someone, they don't have to. And I'm like, oh my God, like how amazing would that have been to learn that at a much yeah. younger age than when actually you were maybe a teenager and you're like, oh, get off me. And yeah. and in in such a way that you have the language to be like, actually, like you're invading my space. Please, please get away from me. So I think actually you're probably quite right, is that actually consent workshops should be started way late like way 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 earlier than they are
0: yeah and then like going back like to the disability side i think if we have you can put it into the consent category in a way but if you talk to people and say like you know if if you've got someone who's neurodiverse they may not react how you expect them to react so if you can talk about that it, it especially in schools where you could have mixed Ability schools, which you do get, or even in SEN schools, I think because you might have someone who has a physical disability rather than a neurodiverse one, yeah. you've got to explain how that can affect you. And you, if you don't do that, you grow kind of misreading the room or
1: yeah.
0: misjudging how someone's reacting to your conversation.
1: I am honestly loving this. I think this is – it's so fascinating because something that actually just seems – So simple when you talk about it. Like, of course, why have these things not been spoken about? It isn't spoken about. And the fact that it's not is almost like I'm sat here and I'm like, oh my God, like education is a lie. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. And like when I look at my situation, like with not being at school, I missed a lot of like what we call like social education lessons. So like, that was what was taught in your last year. But the sex education I had was literally the condom on a banana. That was it. Yeah, bit of like, in biology lessons, like, but nothing else. And so, you kind of grow up, and you. I I was a really, which most people find funny. I was quite a shy teenager. I, yeah. like, I you know, I wasn't the outgo where I am a bit more now. But I kind of think back then. I look at myself and I think. That was because no one taught me, for example, how my disability would affect my dating life, my sex yeah. life, and things like that. Um, kind of, you. I speak to so many, especially men um, who have acquired a disability, be it a spinal cord injury or yeah. something like that. Um, they don't know how that's going to affect their sex lives and they don't always get that education from the hospitals or the doctors and they kind of then left floundering. And I get emails from people asking me, for advice and things like that and i just find why aren't why aren't we looking at why this gap is happening it shouldn't be happening but then you go back to i i can't imagine now what it's like as a teenager if you acquire a disability how that affect looking as you are getting older i at 14 i maybe didn't think about it as much but i look backwards now and think yeah that probably did have a massive effect on me because i was kind of like i say, i hid my disability mm-hmm. um but I remember having the conversation with my wife when we first met. Um, I straight away. I told her, and yeah. I was like, "Right, I need to tell you, blah blah blah." And because obviously my condition is genetic as well, we had the conversations. Yeah. And then that went into a very long conversation that took a long, long time to decide whether to have children or not, and things like that. Mm-hmm. it's so you've got you've got to be open, but I think we need to have more education about being open about these things and how it might affect you.
1: I would wholeheartedly agree with absolutely everything you just said because disability isn't spoken about full stop in schools and actually it should be because when I think about my schooling experience and I didn't learn anything about disability, like like I learned nothing. So everything that I have learned about disability has come through my like my own lived experience, learning from other people online and also reading. Now, that is great. I I'm someone who loves to learn. So for me to like find my material, I find that quite fun. But actually, what about the kids or the people who don't have that? Where do they get their information from? Who do they turn to? And if you know social media has been incredible for disability because it's really highlighted a lot of awareness and gaps in like society and the marketplace where disability is completely left to the wayside. But where do you go if you need, like you said, like if you have a spinal cord injury and you know, a nurse is not necessarily going to be the one who's going to tell you how, how your sex life has now changed. So where do you go?
0: This is it. And this is one of the things I work on. Um, I'm looking at ideas of where we can kind of change this conversation and talk to medical professionals and see if there's something we can do. But just picking up on something you've said there about kids learning, like, and social media, that it, it really annoys me because there's such a negative still. Like, there's so many positive disabled people on social media, and but when you look at the comments and how negative it can be and the tro- trolling and things like that. I, I laughed because this morning kind of falls into both categories I saw a conversation about uh, Lego released a new figure that has a limb missing yeah. they've only got they've only got um, upper arms so they've got low arms and I saw people having a go about why had they done it they are really negative about it and joking about it and it's like it's a great thing if you can explain to children at a young age that not everyone looks the same yeah and I think, especially with disability, because there's so many, so like there's such a wide spectrum. So I think seeing something like that is such a positive thing. But then straight away we're trolling. There's haters out there giving it full of
1: I I honestly think had that Lego been around when I was like little, I would have I would have bought everything to do with that like that figure because it would have it's me. Like I didn't have a hand. It's not going to grow back, and I'm not going to find it down the back of a sofa. So like a Lego Lego doing that, I think is incredible. And I'm completely with you because I think a lot of people are like, oh my God, there are so many amazing things that happen. And then you get someone who is a good old keyboard warrior and they love being like, why are we doing this? It makes no sense. And you're like, actually, it does make sense. And like, I try and be nice. I I really try and be nice. But like, I have a very, very low bullshit tolerance. <laughs> so sometimes yeah. it's best for me not to comment because I'll be like, here is an essay and an education. And if you can't understand the reason behind it, then maybe you need to go back to
0: school. <laughs> yeah. We've just become such a less tolerant society at times. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like you say, if growing up, if you had more awareness of what was going on, like in the sense, like you say, if you saw a toy that looked like you, like for me, there was... I, do you know, I was just thinking, you've, you've made me really think on this one, weirdly, because I was thinking there was nothing, me growing up as a kid, there was nothing that kind of showed disability. But like I suppose the nearest thing to me would have been like a stretch Armstrong or like an <laughs> action figure where you could pull the arms out. I suppose that's about the nearest I'm, I'm going to get. So, yeah.
1: It is. It's funny, isn't it? Because I think there are so many brilliant things happening. But as you said, trolls do exist. And that is, yeah. and it's something that all disabled people have to, to, to work with because there, there are a lot of people who seem to get very angry when disabled people speak the truth about how like the reality yeah. of being disabled and a lot of well, people I, I, I still way. get like
0: about people I say what I do like when I first started working in the sex industry and set up my store a lot of people were so divided on it I always say I always say it would go one of two ways if someone asked me what I did for a living and I told them it would be either a hundred questions, shut it down, or shut it down and walk away. Yeah. And it can still be like that. Um, mm. some people when I say now that I work as like a sex educator talking about disability, some people are like, Oh, that's that's really interesting. And others, no, 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 don't wanna know, don't wanna know and walk away. It's yeah.
1: Whereas me, I'm like, all of the questions under the sun. Like I yeah. wanna know everything. <laughs> But I think that what you're doing in terms of like how you want to educate people, I think that's so invaluable because actually when you look, and I'm I'm, I'm thinking more about acquired disability right now, and, and particularly men, I don't really know why. I feel like women kind of figure things out a little bit better in this area. But like there is such a taboo, particularly with disabled men talking about sex because actually every single guy who's been on this podcast has been asked, can you have sex? And where do they go to if they don't know the answer to that question? And like what you're doing, like, isn't that amazing that you're providing something that actually a lot of people might be too scared to ask or like they don't know where to turn to? Like, how how amazing is that?
0: It's it's a funny one because I, I have been asked the question, but I, only maybe once or twice, but my wife quite often gets asked it. Like, more so. All right. Like, kind of, yeah. And like and she would always get the question as well when I had the shop was, do you try all the products? I wouldn't get that, she would get that. <laughs> so she would like laugh it off. Um and we would so we're kind of used to them weird questions. Yeah. But I think one thing I always say is I'm not afraid to be open. I do have boundaries what I will and what yeah. talk about and you know. And where I will and will will say things, but I'm quite happy to talk about you know how sex is one of them things, especially with a disability. I when people ask me one bit of advice, I always say be willing to laugh. Yeah, I'm willing to listen. Like talk, listen, laugh. You know, it's that's what I always say. And for me, like I, I quite often talk about it. as a younger person, I my joints would dislocate. That's when they don't still know, but they I've had dislocations during sex, and I have got to like, oh shit, put my joint back in, laugh it off, yeah, you know, and things like that. But if someone really wants to know, I, it does annoy me because, like, say, I think this is though because sex and disability is still a taboo, they mm-hmm. so kind of it's that voyeuristic, yeah, thing they want to know that, like, because they can't see it, they kind of want to know what's going on, and like I say, when you see it when there's rare occasions where it has been in porn and it's fetishized it again it has that negative effect so people are thinking oh it must be a bit kinky if they're having sex or it must be a, a funky way of doing it or something like that yeah they don't see the normal way. one thing um one of my favorite sites is a site called make love not porn it's run by this amazing one called cindy galler oh i absolutely adore and it it's real world sex on there. So people can submit videos and mm-hmm. there is actually some where there's a couple where the yeah. man is a wheelchair user. And so you see him getting out of his wheelchair and things like that. And it's so amazing to see. Yeah. But you, most people aren't seeing things like that. They're seeing the fetish, they see it, and then they build a, a picture up in their own head of mm-hmm. what maybe a disabled couple's sex life is like.
1: Honestly, like I'm sat here in my brain, you know, that emoji where it's like the brain, like, poof, yeah, that's like my brain right now. Cause there are so many moments where I'm like, oh my God, that's so true. And like, that's particularly what you just said about disability being fetishized, because as I'm going to caveat what I'm about to say, this is my personal experience. I'm a woman. I'm sure that men also go through this, but as a disabled woman, the amount of devotees that I have found on my accounts is alarming. And a very good friend of mine, Sandy, he's literally just had an article published in the BBC all about this. And you're so right is that it is, it's hyper fetishized and you know, there's something kinky about it or something like almost demonic because some of the messages I've received that honestly I could maybe have bought a million pound house for some of the people that want pictures and it's nothing sexy. It's like, I want to see how your elbow moves. (laughs)
0: Hardened. yeah I, I I shouldn't laugh but I'm I'm just like it doesn't surprise me at the same yeah. time I'm not like I'm not shocked and like you said the, the whole devotee thing it's again another thing people don't understand yeah um, a friend of mine did a, a documentary for the BBC about yeah. it a few years ago Emily Yates. and that's a fab program yeah. and it, and I, I think again I, but I do think that is a female more of a female thing I think um and you and you do see it, it and it's just wrong, but I, I take this back again to education. Yeah. We need we need to talk to young men about what they're doing wrong. Um and I feel as a society we're getting it wrong in so many ways where sex education young men is concerned. We vilify quite easily, and I think we need to educate and say look be it consent especially around social media sharing of images and things like that but we need to take teach them all about respect more rather than porn does have a role to play in the sense of yeah it's so you look at porn now and i just think it's getting too extreme at times now it, the, even like the mainstream sites that you would classes like where people go to you it's it's having a really negative effect on young men. Mm-hmm. Um it's hard to put the genie back in the bottle, sir. But I think we need we just need to start talking about it more. And I think it's there's no quick fix for it. And I do mm-hmm. think as well, I speak to people my age and they they don't get what I talk about because it's a generation thing. I talk, like they—they'll see stuff on Pornhub, for example, and oh, that's amazing. But when you talk about, it, then look at the negative context to it. They can't see it because we weren't taught that. So yeah. yeah, I grew up in a generation of lads mags like FHM and thing loaded things like that. And for all there was some really good stuff in that, I do think it had again a negative effect on how men look at women. So yeah. I think we, we really need to change
1: that. Again, like loads of mind-blowing moments just then because what I think what you said, like, it's so bang on. It's just, it's all so correct. And there's nothing in it that actually I'm like, maybe I'm like, no, 100%, absolutely. I'm like, I'll be your person. I'll back you up. I'll be the one that screams the rooftops as well. I think, I think what you're doing, particularly around education and the way that you speak about education as well, like you're clearly so passionate about it. And I think that's wonderful because I think so many people and I know I always say this, but so many people benefit from hearing these conversations, and not having them like in a space that's only for what you do. So this conversation is not just going to be in like the sex education space. And how like how important is that? Because someone out there might stumble across this and be like, "This is exactly what I was looking for," but I didn't know where to find it, and I didn't want to go into that space because I'm not sure about it.
0: Yeah, because it's. Again, it can be a scary thing when, you you know, you Google something. So you Google sex and disability and there'll be some really good accounts come up. There'll be a lot of really crap ones as well. So you've got to kind of filter it out. But if you don't know what you're exactly looking for, um, it, I get frustrated quite often with articles about all oh, the best sex toys, for example, for disability, because it's not a one size fits all. Yeah. Because there's such a wide spectrum, like I say a lot of people think oh it's to do with the button size or how how you hold it and things like that It it's more than that and i also find it i i do product reviews but i don't really often talk about how i think it worked on me for example or, uh-huh. or my wife i will talk about how i look at it, how it feels how and things like that rather than say well because i i get very frustrated with a lot of toy reviews because it'll say oh this gives me the most amazing orgasm what works for one person might not work for you. Yeah. So I think you've got that's why I like to talk about how it works rather than what it does, like how it affects me.
1: Yeah. It's so true that you say that because the reason that I ask everybody how they refer to their disability and, and and it comes into this like really really well is because everybody's experience of disability is individual. Not like you could have people with the exact same disability on paper, you know, medical paper, but by the by you could have it, people with the exact same you know exact same diagnosis whatever and the way that they refer to their disability and the way that they talk about their disability and the way that it impacts their life will be completely different and I'm not saying there aren't things that will be in common of course there will be but it's so individual and it's so down to that individual person and I think you also are having that you know you're having these conversations as well, well and
0: I think I think it has a massive effect on How that person can like is looked at with the people from the people around them as well. I think how you kind of I I would say like the last 10 years, I've certainly changed my outlook where my disability is concerned. And I say I would talk about it a lot more. Even when I was doing bits around disability and sex toys, I kind of was still apprehensive about how much I talked about my own disability. Yeah. Now I am quite open to talk about it if anyone asks. And like it's funny because you see so many people on social media saying, Oh, they get sick of being asked. I very rarely get asked in some respects. Even though like I'm in a bright pink wheelchair, <laughs> I always have as a I'd say 99%, I have bright pink trainers on. Because that was always the thing. I always wore bright pink trainers. And when I had to when I was told I needed to use a wheelchair, uh-huh. I was like, I want a bright pink one. And I was sat in the hospital, they said, right. Let's sort your wheelchair out. What yeah. colour do you want? I said, bright pink. They didn't believe me. They were like, no, 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 you don't. You'll want you want a, you'll want a different colour. I said, no, I'd like a bright pink wheelchair, please. Yeah. And when the day I went and picked it up, they were like, we really did not believe you. We thought you were going to change your mind when you came. I was yeah. like, no, 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 it has to be bright pink. <laughs> and people now know a lot for seeing me either wearing bright pink, the pink chair is all the pink wheelchair. Um. And I feel that most people accept me for that, but there will yeah. be, there is still people who think, oh, well, you know, or they'll judge me for it. They'll, they'll make a figure in the head. They'll think I'm maybe gay or, yeah. and things like that. But
1: It is. It's, it's fascinating, isn't it? I like to think that through any form of hardship that, you know, we go through that if, if at the time you can think about one positive attribute about yourself or learn you know something about yourself that's positive it don't want to say it's been worth it but at the same time like you've learned something and you've grown from it and i was just wondering through any hardship that you've had is there a particular positive attribute about yourself that actually in hindsight you're very proud of
0: one thing as i've always been proud of this uh, like all my time is i'm willing to listen i i love listening to other people's problems and giving feedback and things like that yeah. but i just I, and but otherwise I think it's just willing to learn now. I, I'm I, I love listening to people's experiences of disability and I want to kind of take that and manifest it into something better, which is what I love what you're doing. I think I think we need to have more people giving these stories and kind of switching off from the crap that is out there. <laughs> yeah um so yeah
1: oh well thank you for saying that that does mean a lot because sometimes I think I'm just talking to myself and I'm like yay go Brooke
0: <laughs> i love doing it because I I have co-hosted a podcast before and I'm in the process of going to be launching my own soon and because I, I love talking most people know like it was it's always quite often joke you can't have a 10 meeting 10 minute meeting with me it will be at least an hour yeah. um and that's just the northerner in me. I think I love to chat. I like to listen. Um, but I think there's too much where we kind of shut off now. I think we, we're quite, as a society, I think we've become cut off in the sense of, because there's so much on the internet, you you see people's stories. But I think you look at how like people are turning away from Instagram and things like that because they don't want to learn anymore. They don't want to listen. They just kind of... They want specific things in their face, not willing to listen, like to look at the background, for example.
1: Mm, very, very true. And I think what I always find really interesting is when people are like, Instagram is your echo chamber. And I'm like, so you're not always going to learn from it because it's what you're interested in. And it's and it's the things that like come up in your feed or the things that you interact with. And I always find it so interesting because I think, imagine if it wasn't an echo chamber and you actually used it to learn and you yeah. used it to learn about different things that maybe weren't necessarily to do with you just just for learning processes because I think you know every day is a school day and you can learn something new absolutely every day but if you learn something and then because you learn something new you were then able to understand someone else better or someone else's culture better or you know disability better is that not like the best use of technology
0: yeah and I think again I I often say to people, like when they want to know questions about disability, if, if they're not disabled themselves, I always said, don't be afraid to ask, but just give it a little bit of a thought before you ask that you're not going to offend. And I, I I'm not easily offended, so I, I'm quite happy for people to ask. They want to ask what my condition is, mm. if, as long as they get me in the right frame of mind. and I'm not having a bad day. They'll, <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell them. You know, I have days where my head's up my ass and I don't really want to talk about it, but. I'm quite happy to talk about it but I think it's it's got to be done in the right place just someone stopping me in the street and asking me I'd be like it's not really any of your business but it's got to be done in the right context
1: yeah for sure I was wondering do you have a piece of advice for a younger version of yourself and also a younger person with the same disability as you now they don't need to be the same pieces of advice they could be two completely separate pieces of advice and just anything that comes to mind
0: i think it would be not to be afraid to show it yeah i was afraid to show my disability and i and younger me should not have been like that should have been all out just go for it um and i think that yeah i think don't be afraid to be yourself. I think your disability is part. I I always say no, my disability is part of me, obviously. Uh, I'm not afraid to show it. Yeah. And I think that is what we've got to be. Is we shouldn't be dog, we shouldn't be hidden away. Yeah. And you, you speak to I speak to people all around the world talking about sex education and things like that. And it frightens me when you talk to some of these in some of these countries when they'll, and I'll say, Oh, do you ever hear anything about sex and disability? And they'll turn around and say, one no until you don't really see disabled people so it's like we need to do more as like as a global society we need to bring these barriers down and i just yeah just be yourself
1: oh i love that because i think that's such an important piece of advice for like like anyone disabled or non-disabled is actually like just be yourself because you're going to be way more exhausted not
0: being yourself than And my, my other one is just be willing to laugh. Laugh at yourself. Yeah. Uh, I I I would say this, and I, I'm quite open. I, I have issues with mental health and things like that. But I even when I, I'm being in my darkest patches, I still have to try and find ways to laugh about myself and my situation.
1: Yeah, I think we're probably quite similar because I do my best work when I'm laughing or when I'm having a good time. So much so that I have the words, it's all about having fun tattooed across my body because that's when I do my best work is when I'm having fun. And I think that's a great one. Like just be able to laugh. Like even if you can find like the smallest thing in the world, like, you know, it might be like an old picture of someone. For example, the reason I bring that up is because I have... (laughs) She's going to kill me. I have a picture of my auntie when she was a child on my phone. And it's maybe the funniest picture I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, There's nothing particularly special about it. But every time I see it, it, it brings me to tears. I'm in that much laughter. And I think if you can find, you know, your version of a picture of your auntie, yeah. keep it close by because it's it's amazing what it if can
0: want, my My go-to when I need something and I'm at my lowest, is watching, I think it's about the first three or four minutes of the Minions movie, the first one. Really? <laughs> that just makes me chuckle. And that—that mm-hmm. that is, like, I have that on one of my screens if I am, like, in a really low mood. Like, music is my go-to, um, but, like, that is the one thing. Yeah. But it's, but I... I, think, I think it's having that fuck it attitude as well at times. Yeah.
1: yeah. You, you do. I think you're like absolutely correct. Sometimes you do just, you just have to kick the fuck it bucket and like yeah. crack on. Yeah. So this is, I love asking this question. And because of your job, I'm so sure you've had multiple of these. But what are some of the weirdest questions that you have ever been asked?
0: Oh. Now, the, probably the, the weirdest one in a way is because obviously I'm really flexible is can I give myself a blowjob? Do you, did you have your ribs removed? Like... I can't get my, Well, I'm saying that I used to be able to get my legs around my head quite easily. I've not done it for a long time because I realised how much pain it used to put me in. But yeah. I so
1: wondered where that was going then. I was like, oh my God, is this going to be a secret admission?
0: No, no, then... no. Not tried. Not willing to. <laughs> but I still get asked it now. I have friends who ask me, have you ever tried? And I'm like, no.
1: No. Not happening. Oh, that is that is a first. That is a first. Like I, it's, I I just I would honestly, I think for a day, you know, when girls and guys are like, oh, I'd love to be the opposite sex for a day just to see what it's like. I would like to be an able-bodied person for the day. I would love it. I would just love to see how they like see disability because of it, like it's my reality. Like, I don't know any different. So, like, for me, I get really confused when people don't understand disability because, obviously, like, it's my lived reality. Yeah. I would love to spend a day in an able body or, like, a non-disabled body just to see what the world was like around me and, like, and, you know, maybe understand some of these thought processes where people think that it's acceptable to ask these questions because they, it blows my mind every
0: time. It, Yeah, it's it's... And I think the, the other one I used to get quite often was about my joints coming out. Did my joints ever come out during sex? Yeah. Obviously, I, as I've said before, yes, they do. Um, but yeah, they're the probably two weirdest ones I get.
1: Oh, honestly, like it's absolutely wild, isn't it? Like, oh, it's, it's, it's funny as well, because I think if you don't laugh at these questions, I think if you actually thought about them and took yeah. them to heart, you'd probably cry. And be like, yeah. why Why do you want to know that information about me? Because it's nothing to do with you.
0: Yeah. And it's how people like kind of judge you. Like it's, I've had like being told, you know, numerous times, oh, you shouldn't have children because, you know, your conditions. Not. And, that, and my wife and I have chosen not to have children. Mm-hmm. That was one of the reasons. But for me, it's no fucker else's business. It's my, mm-hmm. it was mine and my wife's choice. No one else's. And it's, Again, it's a hard conversation to have, so you sh- you don't want to listen to the crap that comes with it from other people yeah. at times.
1: Yeah, completely, completely. And like, God, I've loved this conversation today. I feel like I've learned loads. I've actually genuinely learned. So I feel much. it could go
0: on for a lot longer. That is the thing.
1: Oh, and honestly, it could probably go on for like another two hours. And I'd be like, tell me more. Like, I'm so intrigued. <laughs> like, how do you source these things? <laughs> yeah.
0: It's it, it, it's just one of them things. It's why, because we don't talk about it enough, Yeah, people then want to know more. And, and I think because we don't talk about it, there's that is why it's a taboo. Yeah. So hopefully having more conversations like this, the work I do, the work other people doing, the, you know, talking about sex and disability, it can make it less pro- uh, provocative and in, than not causing rows and things like that. I think we just need to be open about it. And I I get parents of disabled children asking me about how they should have these conversations. And it's mm-hmm. like, you've just got to be open about it. Don't hide the fact that, you know, if a teenager gets to 14 they're wanting to ask things about sex and they've seen things on the internet, especially now because yeah. of the internet, have the conversation, don't shy away from it. it. And I still think it's a generation thing of parenting as well. Like, yeah. yeah.
1: Honestly, even what you've just said then about parents of disabled children, like, would not that it's not crossed my mind, but like it's not always at the forefront. And I think for me... I think I would love to get it to a state or like you know the work that you do where we don't see disability and sex and immediately think fetish. Because I think for a lot of people, that's immediately what they think of who are not necessarily in the disabled community. That is their first port of call because for so long, and this goes into like a whole society thing, disabled people were left on the back burner or we were seen as other two different and and that kind of plays into that fetishized role and and you know when porn first went on the internet i'm sure that's that's why it went there and i think it would be wouldn't it be wonderful if we could get to a place where we didn't see immediately like disability and sex being a taboo and disability and sex not being fetishized as the first port of call
0: But that's why the media, in the sense, has such a lot to do. Like, for example, Love, Love Island, over the last couple of scenes, they've, they've made this issue of, oh, they've had disabled contestants mm-hmm. on. But they've never been really, like, visual yeah. in some respects. And until you see someone in there with either a limousine or in a wheelchair, I don't think you're ever going to see that. But then, again, that person who's willing to do that is going... To know they are going to get a lot of abuse in that because it's going to take time to break that taboo down. So it, it's going to take people who are willing to go and put themselves in the firing line yeah. to break it down.
1: Yeah. And that's it's so true. I've only got one final question for you. And like, I feel like if I don't stop it now, we're going to go on for like ever because I think there's so much to be said. We're going to have to do a part two. I'm going to call it now. Like, I'm we'll happy be to do a part two. Because there's uh, so many, so many like questions in my brain. But my final question for today is, Damien, can you say that you're disabled and proud?
0: Yes, I certainly can.
1: Oh, amazing. Well, I have honestly learned so much today. I've had so many moments, like so many aha moments and so many... So many things that I'm probably going to mull over now for for a couple of days, and I just really want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to come on the podcast and have this conversation with me because I've I've absolutely loved it.
0: Anytime, I've absolutely loved it. It's been a joy.
1: Brilliant. Oh, thank you so much for being a guest, and we'll speak soon. Bye, soon. Bye. thanks for listening to this episode of disabled and proud if you've enjoyed the show then please give it some love by leaving us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts it really helps us to reach more and more people each week plus if you've got a particular highlight then i'd absolutely love to hear it tag me on your insta stories at disabled and proud podcast